Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Hag Chanukah Sameach and Shabbat Shalom. Breakfast is sponsored by Ezra Aini on the occasion of Chanukah and in honor of the Kahal. La Slachaba for success in everything. Breakfast is also sponsored in honor of Sandy and Harod Shochet in celebration of the engagement of their daughter Layla to Akiva Raskin, sponsored by the Kahal. Breakfast is dedicated in loving memory and Lilun Ishmat. Shoshana Bat Le'ah, Le'ah Shalom, sponsored by Cooking and Stanley Chira. And as well, breakfast is dedicated in honor of Tzvi Ve'edna Cohen. Okay, Rabutai, in the parashah this week, we read about something which I think is very interesting. We're, uh, we're coming into the story here where after two years of Yosef sitting in this, uh, in this pit, waiting to be saved, waiting to be remembered by the Sarah Mashkim and indeed God, <clears throat> Finally, Paro uh, has a dream that he remembers. And uh, at the time, he asks everyone to solve or to interpret the dream, but none of the ideas actually resonate with him or sit well with him. He's sure that everybody's wrong. As Paro is losing his mind, he's so uh, distraught about these dreams, the Sarah Mashkin comes to him, comes forward and says, Listen, you know, I was in prison once. You got angry at me, you sent me there. And I had a dream in prison, and Yosef at the time, he interpreted my dream, and he got it right. So what do you say? What do you say? Why don't you, maybe you should call him and ask him. And they, they come and they get, Yosef, uh, uh, what's his name? Yosef out of the board. What day of the year is it when they take him out of the pit? Anyone remember? Rosh Hashanah. That's why we say, uh, what's it called? That you remembered, also we say Zichronot, we talk about on Rosh Hashanah, that you remembered Yosef HaSadiq. So he was remembered in the prison on this day. They take him out of the prison. They bring him to Paro's palace. And Paro tells him the dream and Yosef interprets the dream correctly. But what's interesting is, Yosef does not end there. Yosef carries on and he says to him, listen, this is what you should do. So number one, what does the dream mean? The dream represents seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. But then he carries on, and what does he say after he interprets the dream? He says to him, this is what Paro needs to do. He should find a person who's, what's it called, who's chacham, v'navon, who's wise, who's clever, and that person should be the one, and he should put him, and put him in charge of all of Egypt. And, and what's fascinating to me is that, again, in our eyes, it seems like Yosef is just being helpful. But we really need to perceive this through the eyes of Paro. Paro is a despot. He is an evil dictator. You don't tell dictators how to run their country. I asked you to interpret the dream. Tell me that the dream means seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, and then shut your mouth. You're telling me I should go find someone? You're telling me I should appoint him? You're telling me how to run my country? I should give power to somebody else? How do despots and, and monarchs usually relate to someone telling them to share power? They kill the guy. So why is Yosef taking this risk of giving Paro advice that was never asked for? It's a good question. The answer, Rabotai, is very powerful. Yosef was sure that this was the right move. How did he know that this was the right move. How did he know that he was supposed to give this idea almost as part of the dream itself? 
Well, on Sunday at the Askarafa in Safra Lava Shalom, I gave one answer uh, to a question which seems unrelated, but over here actually will help us have an insight into what it is that Yosef has figured out here. Remember, Paro keeps asking everybody what to interpret the dream, and he doesn't believe anyone's interpretation. Now, let me ask you. Imagine you come to me and you say, Rabbi, I have a dream. I don't understand. I keep having it. In the dream, my grandmother, she makes me a sambusak. I eat the sambusak, and then I realize that inside the sambusak is not cheese. It's chalant. And it's disturbing me because I'm Sephardic and I don't like chalant. Imagine you said that to me. So I tell you, get over yourself. But either way, the point is, if I told you, you know what the sambusak represents? The sambusak represents a guy who's going to come and give you business. His first name is going to be Sam. His last name is going to be Busak. Okay? That's what I said to you. That's what I say to you. Now, do you know whether my interpretation is right or wrong? No, you have no idea. The only thing you can do to find out whether I'm right or wrong is wait and see. Right? Isn't it a game? If you come to me and you tell me you don't have Sambusak in your dream. In your dream you had what's it called? Uh, you, you, came to the sto- you came to your store in the morning and all the curtains were down. What does that mean? I can make up whatever I want. How would you know whether my interpretation was correct or not? The only way you'd know is if you waited and you saw that I was incorrect. So Paro had the dream this morning, right? Last night, sorry. He wakes up this morning, asks everybody, and he discounts all the... By what means did he discount everyone's interpretation of his dream? The Sifarim tell us that one interpreter, one interpreter said to Paro, you're going to have seven daughters. And then seven daughters are going to die. Another one said, you're going to find seven treasures. Then you're going to lose the seven treasures. Paro knew that none of them were right. Why? Because Paro said, you're interpreting the dreams of a man. And I am not a man. I am a king. The dreams of a king are also supposed to be about his kingdom. So your dreams, which are personal to me, those cannot be the right interpretations. That's what he said in his own head. And that's why when Yosef comes, he says, he was, like the Pasuk says, ve'en poter otam, and no one could interpret the dreams, el paro. They were interpreting the dreams to the man, not to the title. Comes Yosef, and Yosef says, the interpretation actually is about your country. It's about your country starving to death, or you being able to save them. By what's it calling? By... Uh, um, by, interp- by, by, saving, by saving during the years of plenty. So I'm going to give you two answers to this question that we started with. Yosef looks at Paro and he says, if he had this dream, it can't be it's a personal dream. It must be about his people. So number one, the dream is about this famine. But he also understands that if the dream is coming to a king, it must be as well that it's coming to him because he has the chance, the opportunity, the power to be able to make a difference in this scenario. So Yosef also builds in his uh, interpretation to the dream because that's also part of the fact that Paro had it. It has to be that Paro can make a difference himself. That's one answer. But I want to give you a much better answer from Rabbi Hak de Paris. He says something unbelievable. He says, Yosef thought to himself one thing. The Gemara said, the Mishnah, excuse me, tells us that there are four Rosh Hashanahs. Rosh Hashanah for the people, Rosh Hashanah for the kings, Rosh Hashanah for the Ilanot, right? And Rosh Hashanah for Tivu'ah, for wheat. 
When is Rosh Hashanah for wheat? Pesach. Says Yosef, if Paro had the dream on the night of Rosh Hashanah, it can't be that the dream is only about wheat. It must be that somebody is being judged here. It must be that someone is being spoken to. Now, if it's a Rosh Hashanah for the kings, that's also another day. This dream has to be about somebody else. That somebody else is me. So Yosef says, you need to start putting away the food. But that's not the point. You need to appoint somebody over the land. That's not the point. That person needs to be wise and a person needs to be clever. And the person effectively needs to be someone who's fair. Probably the best thing is to get an outsider who doesn't have nepotism or family here. Yosef is showing him, he's giving him all the clues pointing at who? To appoint, to appoint him. Yosef gets that this dream is really about him. And he's so sure he's willing to risk his life in the form of offering advice to someone who doesn't like to, to listen to advice at all. Rabutai, I think that there's an important lesson over here, both from the perspective of the dream, but also from the perspective of the timing. You know, there's a lot of times that things develop in a way where you have to ask yourself, does it make sense that I'm standing here? Does it make sense that I'm being put in this situation? Does it make sense that I'm, sta- that I'm overseeing or, o- or overhearing a scenario? Why would I be here? Why would this come to me? What Kadosh Baruch Hu sometimes is doing is he's asking you in this situation, he's challenging you to stand up and do something about it. Now, I, I noticed that there's a line that we say in Hanerot Aladu. We say, Now to me, that always is an interesting line. Because what does mean? Through the hands of your holy Kohanim. Why are we mentioning that with regards to the war that they fought? The part that comes afterwards is about the lighting. That I understand you talk to me about the holiness of the Kohanim. Why are you talking to me to the, about the holiness of the Kohanim with regards to the war? And the answer, Rabotai, is Matityahu is there. Matityahu is there in the moment when everything is being challenged in the Beit HaMikdash. When the Assyrian Greek commander comes in and says, it's time to slaughter a pig on the altar in the Mizbeach for Abu Zarah. Matityahu says, it can't be. How could it be that we got to this place? Sometimes we do something because we must, and sometimes we do something not because we have to, but rather because how could we not? I'll give you an example. Let's say someone comes to the Beit HaKnesset, and it's a life-saving situation, and somebody needs to do something. But the person whose job it is to do something is not there that day. So who must do? The person who must do is the person that it's their job. But although not everyone falls in the must do, everyone falls in the lo ta'amod al damre'echa. You cannot stand by when this is happening. In that situation, someone is acting not because they can, but because how could they not? 
Matityahu finds himself in that situation and reacts. But the truth is, every one of us also experiences moments like this, whether it's for a mitzvah, whether it's for a business opportunity. Sometimes something comes that's so outlandish, Rabbi I mentioned to you a little while ago about a situation where someone is unfortunately uh, you know, looking for a shidduch for a very long time, they're trying to get married. And their non-Jewish cleaning lady comes in and says, I have a shidduch for you. Minen lewen. In what world is this non-Jewish cleaning lady going to find someone? Does she know his level of religious uh, practice, Shabbat, kosher? Does she understand the nuances of the different communities? You know, Reform, conservative, orthodox. Does she understand Sephardic, Ashkenazic? Turns out, the man says to himself, it's such a weird thing. I have to see if this is just God kind of shoving me a note under the door. And by virtue of the fact that it was so outlandish, that's what caused them to act. Matityahu was standing there and saying, the, the challenge, the gauntlet is being thrown down in the Bet HaMikdash. Now, this is the moment. It's so weird. It's so far away from where I'm supposed to be. That if this something is so strange that's coming to my attention, it must be that God is sending it to me. Yosef understands from the dream being on Rosh Hashanah, the fact that no one is able to interpret the dream, the fact that it's only a dream that stands for Paro, Yosef understands that this situation is conspiring and conflating in order to be able to provide me with an opportunity. <clears throat> I think therefore we find uh, a beautiful idea that's, that's uh, mentioned in the, in the uh, Mepharshim. We make such a big deal of the light of the, the fact that the menorah lit for so many days, but the idea of the wars, we don't celebrate in the same way. And the question is why, Rabotai? Why? The fact that the Nair lit for a long time, okay, I heard Rabbi Biederman was talking about it, is so magnificent. He said, imagine you go, you and your family, 13 people decide they're going to grab some kitchen knives, right? A couple of blunted butter knives because you use it as a screwdriver, right? You get some of those mail opening things and you decide you're going to go fight against the American army or against the Russian army. The superpower. That's what happened. They went out and they fought. But before you fought, there was a bad smell in the room. So you lit a scented candle. Anyway, the war takes eight days. You come back eight days later, you stop Bakshimu. The house smells like vanilla. Amazing. You feel like you can eat the couch. Alright? Could you imagine this? Could you imagine making a bigger deal about the scented candle than about the war? Why, why is that? And the answer is magnificent. Ready for this? Magnificent. Because when it comes to the war, however small the human involvement was, humans tend to come up with reasons as to why their involvement in a project was what made it succeed. The amount of people who have said to me, Rabbi, you know, the reason why you're a rabbi now today in Manhattan is because of me. I don't know, I spoke to this one, I said this to that one. If I tell you, like a hundred people have taken personal responsibility for the fact that I'm here. You get a new job, right? You got a bonus. Oh yeah, I saw your boss the other day. I told him that I like you. It must be because that's why. That's the reason. That has nothing to do with his work. It was only because of your cop, you understand? The point is, everyone loves to, na to nab the credit for themselves. That's how it works. 
So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Chachamim realized that if we celebrated, if we celebrated Rabotai, um, the holiday of Chanukah, if we celebrated it and we talked too much about the war, if the candles were about the war instead of the candles, you know what happened? People would start to say, these 13 people, you know what? They were the biggest warriors ever. They knew how to fight so well. You know what else? They had the element of surprise. The army never saw them coming. There were so few of them. You know what else? Guerrilla warfare. It's very hard to fight against individuals hiding you know, amongst the people. They would have come up with a thousand and one reasons why it was not God and why it was the people. The one element of the holiday that no human being could have influenced, could have, uh, uh, it could have made happen is the candle burning longer than it normally would. That had no z- that zero human involvement whatsoever. And candles are not so fast to take credit. Rabotai, I'll add one last thing, and I'll end with this. The Gemara says something very strange on the low key. The Gemara says as follows. They fight this war, they win the war, they come back, they clean up the temple, they're looking, they can't find even one thing of oil that's not been defiled. Badku umatsu. Badku means they checked thoroughly. Bidika is a person, bidikat chametz. Yeah, how do we look for the chametz? We look around the apartment like this? No, the word bidika illustrates that you look in every crack, you look under the bed, you look in all the cabinets. That's how they had to look to find this. It was buried underground, this, uh, this pach shemen. Rashi and Tosafot both say. So they're looking all over badku until finally they find one. And then they light it. Lishana acheret, says the Gemara. Another year, another year, Kavu, they instituted a holiday of eight days to commemorate the miracle. And the question is, why did the rabbis wait an entire year, Lishana acheret, in order to decide whether or not they were going to light? Is that not strange? Why didn't they institute it in the moment? We don't find it in other places, this idea that they were waiting. And the answer is Rabotai, and Mepharshim explained, that they actually did not know if the miracle that had occurred would be a cause for celebration or a cause for mourning. The only way that they'd be able to discern and to define whether or not this was a miracle that they should rejoice in or a calamity that had befallen them was to wait and see because you know what? What might have happened is 13 people might have decided that they had magical powers. 13 people might have decided that they wanted to start a new religion where everyone came and bowed before the people who miraculously won a war. <clears throat> we, didn't, we would not know whether or not this was a, a, a holiday or a terrible day until we saw how did the people react uh, through the span of the year. After a full year passed and it came back to the holiday of Hanukkah and the people were still speaking about the miracle in the way that they spoke about it on that day. You know how things are. Initially people say, oh, two days later it becomes a little bit more about the person. By the time you have six months the story becomes a bit more hazy. The miracles are lost in the fog of war. And next thing you know, uh, this becomes the biggest threat to Judaism. And the irony is you could have wound up with a situation where the Chashmonaim themselves would have been the ones to bring an idol into the temple and to slaughter sacrifices to it. The altar of Kavod, the altar of power and Rabotai, to some degree, the Chashmonaim family 
did fall prey to this uh, enticing and seductive power. Eventually, in the aftermath of the war, they decided that with the power in their hands, the Kohanim Kedoshim decided to switch from Kohanim Kedoshim to Melachim Rishaim, to kings that were wicked. The line of the kingdom was grabbed by the Hashemunai descendants, and they became evil kings in Israel until finally every last member of this family was wiped out, and there's not a single one of them that remains in history. Lishana Acheret, the rabbis understood. You want to know if this is a great thing or a, or a terrible? Let's wait and see. Everyone who wins the lottery says the best day of my life. But go read online the statistics of how many people who win the lottery lose their families, lose their friends, and even indeed commit suicide. This great day, is that what the case is? I don't know. Let's wait and see. Yosef HaSadiq, on this day, if Rosh Hashanah is elevated from the pit and he becomes the king, Yosef puts his brothers through the gauntlet only to ensure that the Nibu'ah becomes true. But what happens in the final moments? In so many stories that are not about the Jewish people, this person, the scorned and spurned brother, doesn't reveal himself to be Yosef and then give everybody a hug. He reveals himself to be Yosef and then he murders his whole family. The ones that sold you, the ones that were traitors to you. That's how normally the story ends. You want to know whether or not you rejoice? Wait and see, Rabotai. That's Lishana Akheret. This is true also to each and every one of us. That when we have wonderful things happen to us, we get a tremendous boon in business. Suddenly we develop a product. Suddenly we develop a client. And you think to yourself, wow, this is the best thing ever. But now you have to hang out with that client. And maybe his, his uh, ideals, maybe he's crooked. God forbid you wind up realizing that all this money that he's sending you for your business, shh, all the money he's sending you for your business is actually not kosher money. You understand this great big thing, this wonderful mitzvah, this wonderful opportunity, this great, you don't actually know what it is until a little bit later. May God bless us always to have clear sight 2020, to be able to see what things, how things are and how things are going to be. May God bless us also to take the opportunities that come our way and to recognize when God's hand is guiding us to a place of greatness, to a place of glory, which ultimately needs to be used in the proper way. Baruch Amen.